listening to the Alan Carter Show on Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Welcome to the program. Thank you so much for being with us in kind of a great day out there. But nevertheless, it's Greater Toronto Day. Happy Greater Toronto Day, everybody. Happy Greater Toronto Day. I'm a good person. Do you feel like a good person? You don't have to do a lot here on Greater Toronto Day. What well, the idea here is just do something small. Just a little, just something. Just do a little something to make your community better. And you're going to feel better about it. And you're just gonna you're just gonna skate through your day, and it's gonna be awesome. It, we're here. We are. We're at Thursday. I have bad news. The uh, apocalypse is upon us, and I I apologize that I have to tell you this, but former ministers of health, and you might have heard about this from Tina in the news. Former ministers of health say that the apocalypse is coming, and it is coming in the form of cuts to public health. And today, boom, goes the letter. And in the letter from these former ministers of health, all kinds of warnings. Walkerton, SARS, measles, Michael Buble, all afflictions that will be visited upon us if cuts to public health are not reversed. Here is former health minister Helena Jacek. We think that this is a fairly unprecedented uh, situation when 10 former ministers have signed a letter like this. We're doing it from a non-partisan basis in the interests, obviously, of public health and the public health system across the province. So our advice to this government is essentially, please, would you actually look before you leap into action? We need a robust public health system in Ontario. It's vital to the health of Ontarians. Thank you. How can you not believe that voice? Like right there, you th- you like, please do not you look before you leap, and you think tea for everyone. And my goodness, but now, yeah, doctor, doctor, by the way, Doctor Helena Jasek carries a lot of weight. She carries a lot of water in the community, and so her warning uh, should not go unheeded. However, I think there's time here for some truth, and for the truth, we go to Antonella Artuzzo. She is a journalist in the Queen's Park Press Gallery who writes for Sun Media. She's affectionately known as Twos, by the way. And she has a way of just cutting through the rhetoric and asking a piercing question. And listen to her here. This is in this press, same press conference with Helena Jacek where uh, Joe Cressy, Toronto Councillor Joe Cressy, was there. And listen to Twos here as she puts this question to Joe Cressy. The government is not saying cut public health. They're saying you pick up the cost (laughs) of public health. Um, As a a councillor who has, I believe, argued in favour of increasing property taxes in the past that, that, that they're too low, why can't you pick up the cost then? So Ontario is the only province in all of Canada, the only one that doesn't fund public health at 100%. That is Joe Cressy responding to a very pointed question from Antonella Artuzzo, who is a journalist with Sun Media. I want to get to Queen's Park, or back, rather, we've always been at Queen's Park. I want to stay at Queen's Park and now go to our Queen's Park Bureau Chief, Travis Danrash, with his sit-down interview with Doug Ford. Doug Ford was just everywhere trying to sell his version of events with his battle with Toronto. Here's Travis Danrash 
and Doug Ford. The government needs to find six billion additional dollars when it comes to program restraints or savings. There will be more cuts. Are there more cuts in the future? Well, if you compound uh, the efficiencies that we found one year, they rolled over every single year of savings. Uh, we have, uh, we're on track to the balance in five years, and we have a contingency fund, uh, a reserve fund of a billion dollars each year in case we, we face uh, troubles in the economy or if there's a downturn in the economy. So we've accounted for that, and uh, we're going to stay uh, focused and keep the ship going in the right direction. Has there been a consideration at some point, though, of, of not only doing this through efficiencies, as you call them, uh, some would call them cuts, but possibly through raising taxes? It's completely out of the question. Uh, people are tired of being gouged, and we don't need to. Uh, keep in mind, we inherited a $15 billion deficit, a $347 billion debt, which is the largest debt, uh, sub-sovereign debt in the world. We're, we're paying $1.5 million an hour on interest alone, $36 million a day interest alone, uh, $13.3 billion a year in interest paying off the debt. It's not sustainable. Uh, we're mortgaging uh, the future of the grandchildren and children if we continue spending money, and that's what the previous government did uh, for 15 years. So essentially the message, and I know that, that, that you know, you've said this across the board, everyone really needs to tighten their belts. Mayor John Tory says he is willing to do that. He is willing to work with you in good faith. It's just he feels that this uh, $177 million was, was dumped on them that they have to find this year. Well, we're, we're going to work collaboratively uh, with not only the, the mayor of Toronto, but other mayors. And my, my concern uh, with the city of Toronto and, and the mayor is I ask the people at home, uh, we're asking for 1% savings for the city of Toronto. And that's not much on a, on a $13.5 billion budget, which went up 40% in five years. And I asked the people at home, have your services increased 40% from the city of Toronto? The answer is no. And he says that he is willing to do that and, and look for efficiencies. It's just, it's certainly difficult uh, for, for Toronto or for other cities to do that kind of mid, midway through the year. You know something, I, I disagree with that. We, we had to find efficiencies. He has a lot of room for efficiencies. There's tremendous waste at the city. The auditor uh, for the city came in and gave 228 recommendations to save money, and they, they didn't adopt any of them. So that, that's kind of scary. I'm pro-life because I believe in human rights. An MPP of yours was at an anti-abortion rally here on the grounds of Queen's Park. Um, you haven't really commented on what Sam Oosterhoff had to say, and you've kind of... Uh, sidestep the question yesterday about whether or not you feel a woman should have the right to choose. Why can't you answer that question directly? Well, number one, it's a, it's a federal issue. Number two, but, but, we but are... But abortions are being funded through OHIP in this yeah, province. Yeah, but in, in saying that, we, I know, but I, I'll make it very clear. I'm not touching that uh, issue. We're going to leave the abortion uh, issue the way it is. Uh, we have uh, bigger fish to fry. There isn't one door that I knock on. Matter of fact, in the last 11 months, not one person has ever come up to me, and the thousands of people I've met have brought that up to me. They're concerned about the economy, about jobs, and that's what we're going to focus on. There was a Special Olympics event where there were young athletes and, and parents, some of the most vulnerable people in the province. <laughs> Boy, that's the first event I've ever had some booze, but anyways. You were booed last night at, uh, uh, at a conference here in Toronto. Thank you for the warm welcome, my friend. 
it wasn't the kids that were booing. It was the school teachers. And let's go for last night, last night. when I was uh, they had one guy sitting there uh, that texted me later on in the day. I mean that night, yeah. all proud that he was the only guy that uh, that did their little boo. But you know when I, when I go out to the people and I go in the back of the factories and I go in the offices, uh, the economy's booming right now. Uh, we created the environment for over 170,000 new jobs. The province has never seen so many jobs being created under any government like we've created it. You said, though, that you, you don't really pay attention to polls, that you, you only pay attention to the, the, the polls which are voters. Uh, I mean, on if, election day. On election day. But, I mean, these, these are voters, and, and there certainly um, are, are people that are concerned with the, the cuts. Have you thought about changing direction when it comes to that? Have you thought about the response that you've received well, at, I, I at listen to the, these I, events? I listen to the real people in the back of the factories and the but businesses. But those aren't real people? No, well, the real people, they never voted for me in the first place because they were so proud to tell me that when they text me, like the guy, one guy that was shouting and screaming last night. Uh, they, they won't vote for me now or they won't vote for me in 100 years. But these are the same people that have their hands in the public trough that have been getting money from, from the public, hardworking people, in the back of factories, in the offices, uh, small business owners, and it's not sustainable. We can't keep going the way we're going. That is Premier Doug Ford in conversation with Global News Queen's Park Bureau Chief Travis Danresh. You can watch that interview on Focus Ontario this weekend because some of us just can't get enough dofo. Am I right or am I right? Not to mention the T Dan. I just making up I'm just making up nicknames for Travis now. <laughs> I'm sorry, Travis, I apologize. Uh, don't call HR. Happy Greater Toronto Day. I hope you're doing a little something, just something, just tiny, just a little thing out there to make the community better, make yourself feel better. I'm a good person! Make yourself feel like a good person. Uh, game five, Raptors, Bucks, 8.30 tonight in Milwaukee. The series is tied. I was recently in Milwaukee covering the Raptors for game one. And my goodness, it struck me again the difference between sports journalism and political journalism. Political journalism being the uh, more natural habitat of mine, you know, being at Queen's Park, kind of shouty. And so, like I often do, I just blundered in into the world of sports journalism and made somewhat of a fool of myself, I, I worry. For example, when Nick Nurse walked up to meet the media, I'm I'm used to the when that happens like it's free for all elbows up everybody goes and the coach stands there and there's a beat and nothing happens and I think all right so I ask him hey dude uh coach did you bring a guitar to Milwaukee and he says next question and he makes some joke about it being a violin next question like, Alan Alan please stop crying <laughs> 
Uh, so to talk to me about how I blundered and the difference between sports and political journalism, I am joined by Scott Stinson, who is a columnist with Post Media. He writes on both politics and sports. He is in Milwaukee covering Game 5. Hey, Scott. Hello, Alan. How are you? Uh, I'm good. Give me a sense of the difference between asking questions in a political scrum and asking them in a sports scrum. Well, yeah, you pretty much nailed it with the shouty thing. Um, in politics, it's, it is just uh, a bit of a free-for-all. You, the, the politician stands up there and everyone kind of barks over each other, and, and usually somebody who starts barking loudest, uh, you know, gets the question in and then somebody else does it. And, and yeah, it's a, it's, it's a bit more intense for lack of a better word. And in sports, it's, um, simpler, you know, like everyone kind of waits their turn. Sometimes there's a bit of talking over each other. I, I think the big difference is that in sports, we sort of know that the people are only doing it because they know they have to, and they get told by the league that they have to be, you know, there's certain amounts of accessibility they have to provide, but they don't really think there's anything, any value in it for them. Whereas in politics, um, you know, there's messages that the politicians, whether they're in government or, or opposition, want to get out there. So they're more willing to... Uh, engage on the terms of the journalists and and in sports it's kind of like uh, an almost tacit agreement that if if we were get frankly too aggressive then they probably wouldn't talk to us anymore so i think that's maybe where the background comes from and it may just be that's always the way it's always been done so no one's ever thought to do it differently well but this is not the first time this has happened to me i i remember i covered the day when uh <laughs> When Kawhi was introduced to the media, and there was yep. a long scrum with Messiah Jury. Now, here's a guy that doesn't, I guess, I, he doesn't have to talk the same way the, the players do. But, right. you know, he's got a message to say. And so, anyway, the thing goes on and on and on. And I think to myself, why nobody has asked this. And I just say flat out, hey, if this doesn't work out, are you going to lose your job? <laughs> right. And he just, like, everybody, there was just silence. Like I had just gone into the boss's office and just farted or something. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's true. It's it's definitely um, look. The, the politicians get tougher questions on a day to day basis, especially those in government. Uh, having seen it, having been part of it, where you know a lot of the questions at Queens Park are basically like. Why are you such an idiot? Why did you make this? I mean, that's not what people say, but that's the implied point of the question is like, you guys have made a complete bungle of this thing and please prostrate yourself in front of the media. You are and, such an and, idiot, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And, and then essentially they ignore the question and tell you that they've got a great plan for the future of the province. Uh, and everyone loves them. And, and there's much less of that that goes on in the sports arena uh, you know, people will still write critical things, but it's it's and it happens from time to time. I mean, to be honest, if if this Raptors team had lost in the first round, there would have been much more of a knives out kind of uh, vibe in the various press availabilities. But the fact is, they've played well this season. They've gotten pretty far in this playoff run, and so there isn't a ton of hard questions being asked. It's just the nature of the way the the sports season goes. There was a lot more pointed uh, stuff being asked of Mike Babcock, for example, when the Leafs were punted in the first round. So 
it depends a little on the way things go. And uh, but yeah, to your point about like asking Masai Ujiri if he's going to be fired, it's a perfectly valid question. Perfectly valid. There's no reason for anyone to take offense at it. I know. I just um, probably should have been nicer. All right, Scott, we got to <laughs> leave it there. Uh, Scott Stinson is the columnist with the National Post, who is in Milwaukee covering the Raptors' remarkable run. Quickly want to turn now to uh, the conservative leader Andrew Shear's announcement this week about a crackdown on human trafficking. The response to the conservative plan from the federal liberals has pretty much been, hey, yeah, we got this already. And now we have accusations uh, from either side, and neither side has actually put any money earmarked to deal with the problem. In other words, a lot of promises, not a lot of cash. To talk about it, I am joined by Lisa Raitt, who is the Deputy Leader of the Opposition and MP for the Riding of Milton. Hello, Lisa. Hello. The response from the Liberals is essentially... All of the things that you proposed were doing anyway, so what's the point? Your response to that? I don't think it's things that they're doing right now. And the statistic that jumped out at me is that 60% of the time when people are charged with human trafficking, um, they are not convicted, meaning that they are there's an inability to, to secure a conviction and the person ends up walking free even though that they were charged. So clearly we do have a concern and we have some solutions for that concern, and one of them is a simple thing, and that is changing a definition so that we're up to date with international standards. The Liberals haven't done that in three and a half years, and they actually got, did away with our national action plan to combat human trafficking, which was funded, and we're saying that we would bring that back and we would fund it again. Well, your pledge to strengthen the criminal code wording to ease the path to convictions, which is, I'm, I'm assuming, what you're really talking about there, the Liberals say, well, similar wording already exists in a Liberal bill that is being reviewed by the Senate committee. So in other words, we got this. Well, the proof will be in the pudding whether or not it goes through, but we believe that these are areas in which there has to be strengthening in trafficking. And one of the ones that we brought up as well is changing the conditions, uh, well, not the conditions, changing the automatic nature of bail. Because if somebody with human trafficking charge against them comes in, it's the Crown that has to prove that they don't automatically walk out. And what happens is they walk out and they go and they intimidate the victim. What we're saying is we're going to treat it just like we treat trafficking in guns and trafficking in drugs, that if you want to go out on bail after being charged with trafficking in humans, you are going to have to prove why you should be allowed to go out on bail. I don't think that's part of what the Liberals are proposing. Your plan doesn't have a number attached to it. No cash. Why not? Well, we know how much it costs in order for us to have the National Action Plan to to work, and we believe that that's workable within our framework as well. The other changes really are in nature of criminal code, more about deterrence and making sure people understand that there is strong deterrence. You will be punished, and we're going to treat this matter very seriously. There's still an increase in human trafficking. Again, today, an international pedophile ring was busted in the world stage, and we hear more and more about this. It has to be shown that this is a serious matter, as serious as as gun trafficking and as drug trafficking. Human trafficking is not accepted, and you will be treated accordingly in front of, in front of the courts of justice. Lisa Raitt is an MP for Milton and joined me on the line. Thank you, Lisa. appreciate you being with us. My pleasure. Thanks a lot.
even though it's gray and kind of dismal outside, I think a lot of us are thinking about vacations. It's just over the horizon, especially for the kids. You know, school's out not too long from now, and then the exodus will begin. And as our exodus begins, we're hoping that there's an exodus elsewhere that comes here. Because I don't think anybody needs to be convinced about the economic implications of tourism and what tourism dollars can do for an economy. Recently, the federal government announced a $58.5 million investment over two years to help communities improve tourism facilities. And it's focused on trying to get people in on what's known as the shoulder seasons, off-seasons, plus also specific funding for various communities that maybe haven't been targeted for money before. And then just today, the Ontario government announcing, and here's the announcement from the Ontario News Newsroom, Uh, The Ontario government is investing more than $1.7 million in cultural tourism events. It will help drive tourism spending, and this is through something called the Ontario Cultural Attractions Fund. And this gets awful complicated real quick, because there are so many different groups involved, and where the funding goes is always difficult to follow. For example, there are recent uh, headlines here from the CBC that the province is slashing funds for Tourism Toronto and that the city estimates that it will be a $100 million shortfall in funding for Tourism Toronto. So what does that all add up to mean? Andrew Weir is Executive Vice President of Tourism Toronto and joins me on the line. Hi, Andrew. Hi, Alan. What's going on? Are you getting money? Are you losing money? What's happening? Well, you know, we've seen over the last number of years how powerful an economic driver tourism is. You mentioned it, yeah, you know, just in the introduction there. And, and so uh, I'll just start with a bit of context and then get to some of the current situation. Uh, so the context is Toronto has about 44 million visitors a year, and they spend about $9 billion here, which is all export. You know, that's money coming in from other cities and countries coming into our economy. Um, So what we've seen from a a funding standpoint recently is some up, some down. Uh, The provincial side is down, and that's you know, that's the really concerning part, is it's a significant portion of our, uh, of our funding. Uh, it's about $9 million, a little over $9 million a year that comes from the province, and that's being eliminated. So you know, our view would be this is the wrong time to be making that kind of move. Uh, we've seen how impactful that spending can be. A great example right now is the collision conference that uh, you know, many people are aware of going on at uh, an exhibition place right now. That's about 25,000 people that have come from all over the world, primarily the U.S., for the largest tech conference in North America. Is there taxpayer money in that? Is there is there taxpayer money through Tourism Toronto in that? There's that? some funding from the city. There's other, uh, you know, we our sales team worked on that for about two years to attract that event here, and it's going to be here for the next three years, this year plus two more. Um, it's typical that when we attract a big event like that, sometimes there are incentives that are associated with that, either, um, you know, usually it's helping defray some of their costs for venue rentals or things like that. So, uh, you know, yes, it, that that's exactly what tourism sales and marketing funds when we're talking about some of our business events. We have a global sales team. We have people based in Chicago, Atlanta, San Diego, Washington, um, and that's what it takes to be one of the major cities in North America. In fact, we just announced this morning, just one more uh, data point for you, that Toronto ranked, we just found this out, ranked number one of all cities in North America last year in hosting international meeting delegates. So convention and meeting delegates that came from another country. 
it's not a huge surprise given the nature of Toronto as such an international city, but still number one in North America is a pretty big statement. So well, then how do you it, react it, to this? So how do you react to this government announcement then of one point seven million dollars in cultural tourism? I mean, where's that money going? Not to Toronto, so I'm that, assuming. That's a long. That's a long-standing funding program. They've announced this year's grant recipients. Um, it's not new funding per se. That's a program that's been in place every year. Um, I haven't actually seen the details of the announcement, so I don't know how much of that is coming to Toronto events or not. But um, typically, it's spread across the province. Uh, but that is a, a long-standing program that's been in place for quite But this a while. is what the government will say, well, look, here's what we're doing. We're doing this thing when, when there's any kind of criticism about cutting funding to be able to, as, as you point out, spend money to make money. Well, there's a, I think there's uh, a couple things to keep in mind. So on the one hand, that's a, that's a long-standing program. There's, there's a couple like that. There's one called Celebrate Ontario. There's another called the Ontario Cultural Attractions Fund, which I think is the one you're referring to. At a broader level, um, the province, at the moment at least, has removed substantial funding from the tourism marketing and sales across the province, and that's a concern um, because we've seen how powerful it can be, not just for Toronto, but for economies across the province. That said, the province is working, the minister and the ministry is working on a new tourism strategy. So our hope is that that strategy will provide the foundation for some smart new investments. Um, you know, I, I don't know what, what's going to be contained in that. We're hoping to see that sometime this summer. Um, I don't know the exact timing and certainly don't know the content of it. But again, you know, I think the case has been made over and over about the value that tourism returns to a community. Andrew Weir is Executive Vice President of Tourism Toronto. Just one last quick question. We're almost out of time here, Andrew. Sure. And the government is fond of saying that no one's going to lose their job. You talked about the network of agents and people working for you trying to bring in this business. Will anyone lose their job because of funding cuts to Tourism Toronto? Well, you can appreciate we just found this out in the last couple of weeks. So we're now going through the process of evaluating what the implications are going to be. Are there markets that we can't be marketing in? Um, uh, that's a process that our management team and our board and others are working through right now. So it'll take a little bit of time to sort through that. But but it is a concern when you take that amount of money out of the system. And hopefully the new tourism strategy will bring back some new forms of funding, maybe in a different form, but continue to invest in a sector that has proven over and over again that it really drives the economy. Andrew Weir, Executive Vice President of Tourism Toronto. Thank you so much for being with me. Okay, thanks, Alan. I have sad news. It was a squirrel. The squirrel was responsible. It was the squirrel. Now, Toronto Hydro is putting the blame on that massive power outage throughout the East End that just snarled traffic. It was ugly out there. Uh, you know, I, I on my way in, because I'm an East Ender, you know, traffic lights are out. It was a squirrel. Sadly... The squirrel did not survive. I do not believe the squirrel survived. We should, I wouldn't warn the squirrel, but I think everybody's just really ticked at the squirrel. And you think to yourself, everywhere there are squirrels, and now and they're nesting in your home, and they're ripping through your, and the whole thing, and now I got some squirrel hate. That's, that's how I feel. Uh, the other thing that that gets people really upset, of course, is when they see crazy, crazy things when they're driving. 
And more and more, we are starting to experience what they experience because everybody's got the dash cam, and then it pops up on the Reddit and everywhere, and everybody's talking about it. And somebody who sees some crazy, crazy stuff out there in the road is Constable Mark Tarasso with the Halton Regional Police Service, who joins me on the line. Constable, how are you? I'm very good, Alan. Thanks for having me on. Uh, you seen anything crazy today? Uh, not today. I made it from the station to court, and I uh, didn't see anything. So luckily, knock on wood, we're doing okay today. Now, do you automatically video everything? Is that in all cruisers? Uh, no, not not all of our cruisers are equipped with dash cam, and, and my vehicle is not equipped with a dash cam. So when you see something crazy, I know you like to post it every once in a while. And, and what do you think the the power of social media is with that kind of message? You know what? It's great. The social media has been a great tool for me to use to try and educate more people. I catch one person using their phone while they're driving, and I, I can kind of educate that one person through a ticket. But if I post it on my social media accounts, sometimes it can reach out to 150, 160,000 people. Like the tweet the other day with the, the young lady taking a selfie, making her duck lips. Um, that reached over 160,000 people. That's that many people getting the message that distracted driving is bad and it kills people. Yes, that message is getting out, and that's great. Also, I think people just clicked on it because they like the term duck lips. I, uh, that's probably true, but I, I kind of try and find a... I try and use the the, tar- the traffic stops that have a, an impact to me yeah. to share with people. And well, this is it. Know that it's an important one. Yeah, and, and the thing is, is it, you can use a little bit of humor here, and you can, you know, it's that, you know, that, that common experience. We've all been driving on the road and seeing somebody doing something dumb. And it makes us angry, but if if we can, you know, get that shared experience out there, that maybe that message gets through. And exactly, and that's all it takes. Sometimes I've had people message me saying, "Hey, I saw that tweet. I was using my phone before while I drove. I didn't think of the dangers. Thank you. I've stopped doing it." And you know, if I can reach one, two, three people, maybe that's one or two, three lives saved. So, and that's kind of the hope of what we're what they're trying to do. And you know, I catch for everyone that I tweet about, I catch ten more that maybe don't have as an interesting of a story, but they're getting caught and they're getting the message as well that it's dangerous to be doing that. So when you're spotting people, you're just driving along and you're seeing something crazy because people are not paying any attention. They don't see you, even if you're in a marked or an unmarked vehicle? Yeah, I've, I before my current marked vehicle, I, or my unmarked vehicle, I drove a marked expedition. It was like a massive billboard. And I'd have people pull up beside me while I was stopped at the red light using their phone. The other day I was on a bicycle in uniform on the side of Dundas Street in Oakville, and I had a driver drive past me staring at me, not realizing who I was because he was too you know, engaged in his phone to realize who I was. Even when I knocked on his window, he still didn't, I don't think it clued in until I told him to pull over that it was a police officer. His mind just wasn't focused on the road. It was focused on what was on his phone. Was he playing like a Pokemon Go or what, what do you think he was That was a couple weeks ago. That was over top of the QEW. I caught a guy playing Pokemon Go. That actually caught two or three people doing really? that. Really? I was just sending a text message. It, it was actually back when Pokemon Go first started. We were, we were seeing a lot of people doing it, playing Pokemon Go while driving. Like hey. totally distracted, not paying attention to anything on the roads, more focused on a, a childish game, unfortunately. Have you ever found anybody playing Fortnite? That, I don't think I have. Not yet. I wouldn't know what it looks like, so... Well, really? <laughs> I don't know if I've caught anybody. No. Let me introduce you thing. to my 10-year-old son. <laughs> if, if I do, I will call you and let you know. <laughs> I'm telling you, I know he, he's too young to get a license, but I, I worry about the boy, I think, because I think that's the kind of... That whole generation is going to be like that. Like, thank goodness we're moving towards self-driving vehicles because there's just more and more distractions. And, and I guess I wonder, you know, do you have in you 
some sense of sympathy for those of us that, and I'm not saying I do it, but my goodness, I am on call and having to deal with stuff from my office, no matter where I am, whether I'm here on the road, all the way up to Don Mills. It's just part of life now. It is. And I, to be honest, I have very little sympathy for, for people. You can get a pair of headphones that have a, a microphone built in them from your local dollar store for a dollar. It's one six hundredth of the cost of the ticket. Um, and you can use your headset while you're driving. It's legal to do so. You, you're legally allowed to push one button to accept the phone call if your phone's mounted on your dash. There's really almost no excuse as to why anybody needs to be holding or using their phone while driving. That exemption is in there that people can talk on the phone as long as it's hands-free. So I, I really don't have much sympathy. I stopped um, a young lady a couple years ago. Her uncle was killed in a distracted driving collision, and she was still using the phone. Like, that's the, the ultimate that somebody paid in a collision and she, she still didn't get the message that it was wrong, so she got a ticket as well. Constable Mark Tarasso is with the Halton Regional Police Service, and uh, where do we follow you on your various mediums and platforms, Constable? Well, you can follow the Halton Police account on, uh, at Halton Police, or you can follow me directly at MT9345, and that's me on Twitter, and you can see all the action, the people that we stop on there. Could you do me a favor, too? Could you do me a solid? Could you just cruise by Nelson High School in Burlington on New Street and just rattle the kids? Just, you know, just do it for me, because that's where I went to high school. And I just just drive by and just just be kind of ominous. Could you do that for me? My old high school as well. Go Lords. I will certainly do that. <laughs> and make sure that they're, uh, they're being smart. All right, sir. Constable, thank you so much for being on the program. Thanks for having me. We have a little time. We're going to rip, and we are going to read. And to do this, I get my sheets here, which I have not yet seen. These are news stories that have been plucked from the newswires by the intern. The intern, David, who is doing tremendous work. Thank you, David. Hit me with a beat. Boom. Company's new chicken nugget-flavored ice cream proves controversial. An Irish ice cream company is causing a stir online with the debut of its unusual new flavor, Chicken Nugget. XXI Ice, based in Dundalk, unveiled its latest creation, Chicken Nugget Flavored Ice Cream. The company released a video showing how the ice cream is made, which actual chunks of McDonald's Chicken McNuggets are broken up into the vanilla ice cream and more chicken nuggets on top as a garnish. Man pleads guilty to taking lemur from California Zoo. Federal prosecutors say a man has agreed to plead guilty to stealing a ring-tailed lemur from a South California zoo. The U.S. Attorney's Office says in a news release that 19-year-old Akinas Kasbar of Newport Beach agreed to plead guilty to one misdemeanor count of unlawfully taking an endangered species. Don't try saying that cold at home. On your own, folks, because BAM! That's how you rock it! Boom! One more. Gucci faces cultural appropriation backlash over $790 indie full turban. Gucci is in hot water. The controversial product, which first hit the runway at the Milan Fashion Week in February 2018, is currently listed on Nordstrom. It's sold out. The name has now been changed to Indie Full Head Wrap. Boom, folks. Back tomorrow on the Alan Carter Radio Program. Ripping, reading, and rolling out of here. 
on Greater Toronto Day. Do something nice, people. I'm a good person.